Father, we just ask you to come meet us today. We thank you for your church, for your spirit. We thank you for what you're doing on the earth. And I pray you would just, um, just illumine the words I'm gonna share today with our church. And this time, Lord, would you meet us? And I, Lord, I believe we're in a, a pivotal place as a nation and as a church. And we wanna see you do things that um, just exceed everything we could ask or imagine in Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you a question. Do any of you marvel, especially people over 30, 35, do you marvel at how the world landscape has so radically been altered since your youth? Even in the last two years, five years, 10 years, about how quickly the world has just changed at a pace that's dizzying. I mean, in the last 50 years, we've seen a war on TV, we've seen impeachments on TV, we've seen people go to space on TV, the advent of CGI, where you can watch a Star Wars or Avengers movie and it looks real and you think maybe you go outside and try to flip your car over and it doesn't work. And we've seen presidencies won and lost on social media. We've seen viral posts in the minute stuff being filmed. Right now, stuff happening like live. When stuff blows up, you get a Twitter feed and bam, you're looking at a live video in seconds. And the culture and businesses understand this. The culture and business are getting in line with this. They see it. And one thing that uh, my friend Mike Breen said when he spoke here last summer, the church is amazing at preserving culture. It's not so great at changing it. And we see a church very stuck in the mud. We see churches closing in mass. And we see churches in the last two years that have opened back up and they're like, hey, we're just gonna get back to business as usual. As if nothing has changed in the world since COVID or in the last 50 years. And we look at the cultural earthquake that's happened in our country since Woodstock, since Roe v. Wade, since uh, Vietnam, since the fall of Eastern Bloc communism, the Gulf War, the growth of terrorism, 9-11, COVID. We have 34 new nations just since 1990 in our world. We've seen the shift from a post-World War II, baby boomer, front porch society, to people on decks, to postmodern via art, tech, music, architecture, society, gangster rap, grunge music, men become women, and vice versa. We're seeing a cultural shift and aftershocks that I think is taking our world by storm. And I think that um, if we're not careful, we're going to be overwhelmed by the tsunami of the aftershocks. We're seeing people leave the church in mass. Me and my wife were just marveling last week at some people who are on uh, Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, some of the posts of how um, people that you thought were spiritual juggernauts or deep wells have just succumbed to the tidal wave of culture, the backlash on the church of stuff that was never on the grid for what's biblically normative or acceptable. People are just accepting these transitions in mass because of the force of the culture, the force of business, the, the, the force of sports in our face, right and left, people are being succumbing to the tidal wave of what used to be anathema is now normative. And the church is not changing at a pace that can keep up with these pressures. 
And we've thought that the change that we need to be or we need to offer is we just need to get sucked in like everyone else is and just blend in. We were never called to blend. We're called, we're the light of the world. We're the stir stick of society. Like if we go away, the lights go off. And we saw that during COVID when a lot of churches um, acquiesced and caved to fear just like the rest of the world didn't shut down. We saw evil increase as an, at an exponential unhiding way like never before because I believe churches abdicated their role in fear and just shut down like everybody else. You can disagree with me, but look at, we're the light of the world. We're the centuries between what's good and what's evil. We're the gatekeepers of God's heart and his kingdom that he wants to advance on the earth. So if we go dark, we're what he's chosen to use. And part of it is the church, there was no playbook for how to work during what happened during COVID. There wasn't. There wasn't a playbook for a forced shutdown. There wasn't. There wasn't a playbook for all the stuff that was happening, for the misinformation, for the disinformation, for the information that was coming out in streams and droves to us, and no one knew how to process it. I'm not blaming anyone for that. But our go-to move is always Jesus, and that's why we want to be people of prayer. Because we saw people who prayed who didn't get sucked into the tidal wave. Yeah, they, they faced it, but we are called friends to be the people who hold back the rush of evil in our society. We're called to be those people in our families, in our neighborhoods, etc. According to, according to Pingdom, in 2000, the internet had 361 million users. <clears throat> In 2020, the world had 2 billion users. As of May, it had grown to 4.95 billion users post-COVID. There's only less than 8 billion people in the world. <clears throat> so we saw 22 years ago, there was about 6.5 billion people. So 1 in 20 were on. Now it's 60%. And this isn't about an online platitude. But what we're seeing is the world has changed the way it's operated. And Jesus chided the church for this. He said, you all see the, the, the times and the signs. He said, but people with worldly wealth, people with worldly connections know how to do this better than children of the light. He says, but it's not supposed to be so with you. You're supposed to be as innocent as doves, but as shrewd as serpents. You're supposed to be heavenly minded and earthly good. And we've seen the church not do that in a lot of ways. We've been so worried about preserving a church culture that, it, to be honest, is a dinosaur. That's a relic. That's an artifact of society. It needs to go the way of the dinosaur. Then we have been, what's the church, God's calling up out of the church to be the church in this next season? Friends, Jesus is calling the church up out of the church to be the church, not that it's always been, but that this world needs in a dark hour. In an era when everyone can pivot, Jesus is looking at his people and saying, pivot. He's saying, people, I want you to be different. I'm calling you up to be righteous, to be holy, to be engaged. To, I'm not taking you out of here, but I'm praying that this place doesn't influence you in a way that sullies your souls and your consciences. 
The world needs something living and concrete and tangible. Because let's, let, let's face it, there's a lot of stuff out there that's been less than that. We've seen the family break down at a crazy pace. We've seen economics breaking down at a crazy pace. We're seeing nations. New nations mean old ones are crumbling at a crazy pace. And what used to be normal is now forgotten or chided. And in this new all-access world to the Pandora's, like, Internet's great, but Internet's like the secret super soldier serum, isn't it? It makes good better and it makes bad worse. And we've seen the increase of evil at a rate that is alarming since the advent of the Internet with school shootings, with church shootings, with evil, with organized crime. There's currently more people being trafficked you want to get on something? I know the race stuff's really important, and I know these women rights things are really important. You want to know the, the, maybe the most egregious evil in our time? The porn industry. We have more people enslaved currently in the world than all of human history combined. The porn industry makes more money currently than the NFL, NHL, MLB, and NBA make combined. combined. Like, this is a problem. The Lord's calling the church up out of the church to be the church. And only a praying church can overcome this tidal wave that we're facing. Um, Ideologue uh, Ideologue newsletter, which is an online newsletter for people in tech and people with ideation, says this. They said, rather than limitless growth... Our goal needs to be to meet the needs of all people within the means of our planet. Our mindset needs to aim to thrive rather than to grow. The American church has been so consumed with growing bigger, 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 building bigger boxes, bigger boxes, bigger, 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 staff, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. I think what people need, instead of these bigger cathedrals, are more, thrive, more places to thrive, more places to grow, more places to be discipled. We need more churches in people's homes on every corner than we need more big boxes in every neighborhood. And if we're looking at the world where there may be more shutdowns, there may, there's gonna be more persecution. The ideas of this book are becoming more and more um, abhorrent and inimical to people in our culture. If you stand by the things that are in here, um, if you're not persecuted yet, you will be. And if you're never persecuted for it, I wonder if you believe everything that's in it. It's coming. And so the structure of our church that we've talked a lot about since day one, about being a disciple-making church, has changed. And I know for some people that the paradigm of thinking that this is not it has been irksome. Maybe some of you sitting here don't like how much we talk about the church from home to home. And we not devalue, but we lessen the precedence of being in this room every Sunday morning. I know some people that bothers. But we're just trying to be ahead of the curve. We're trying to look back to look forward. We look at how the church um, functioned and operated. And the church was both organic and organized. 
So a lot of times there's been, we, we see these people have been part of maybe small groups or cell groups or house churches. And there's this wonderful, earthy, organic component to them. But a lot of times they're made up in people that are angry or people that are off the reservation or maybe conspiracy theorists or people that have been really burnt by the church. And there's some great things to them, but there's this organicness that um, winds up just becoming an unfunctioning blob because it lacks the exoskeleton to move fluidly. But as Americans have done church mostly is we've had these well-organized structures. We have a handbook for everything. And it's the father-son Bible kind of churches that, you know, it's like there's, there's all this structure, all this word, but there's no room for the spirit of God to move in the church or in people's lives. And we want to be both and. We want to be organic and organized. We don't want just a top-down church. We don't want just rules and regulations. We don't need trainings, more trainings and trainings and trainings in the cult of personality. We've been very good at drawing crowds, but very poor at making disciples. We need both. And so what we see in the Bible is we're going to turn to the book of Acts. And when you look at a lot of the fads and phenomena that have come and gone in our world, in a sense, there's one thing that rings true. Is we see that God transcends culture. We see that whether 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago, or 50 years ago, or today, that we live in a crooked and depraved world that needs Jesus. And we also see that what he's given us is enough. What he's given us is enough. In the Bible, I've heard someone say before, is the basic instructions before leaving earth. That we can look at what Jesus did and just emulate it. We can look at what the disciples did and just emulate it, and it might just work. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's dumb, doesn't mean it's bad, doesn't mean it's not relevant. Because I believe that the God who lives outside of time and space could see the whole picture and probably give us something that'll work throughout, throughout the uh, duration of time and space. And it's amazing that the little potion or ingredients Jesus gave the first church has gone, that the church grew from 11 people to 120 people to now over 3 billion people in a span of just 2,000 years. And most of that was done house to house, not big box to big box. And I think we've missed it as a culture because we put more emphasis on this. And this is great. This is important. Big C church is important. But it's not all there is. It's not. If we look in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see how the early church, how they did it. If, if we can bring that up on the screen. When they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging, distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
So what we see here, if you can break it down in three words, was we see temple, that they met in the temple, the big church. That was a very central part of Judaic life. But they also met in tribes. That early church was broken into 12 tribes. So they met in tribes. They met with their people. They did their churches house to house in their neighborhood. And then we see task, that people were added daily to those being saved. So we see temple, we see tribe, we see tasks. A lot of churches have been great at the temple. We see them all over the place. We see, you know, smoke, uh, smoke machines, skinny jeans and big screens all over the place. As uh, one, of my, one of the brothers has uh, said, Mario Murillo, that we see churches with that. They get the attractional model. But the problem with the attractional model was it got a baseball bat taken to it when they said, you guys can't meet in giant places because there's a worldwide issue going on called COVID. So people had put all their marbles in this and it worked great for a while. We saw an ascendant climb with mega churches from 1990 till 2020. But Jesus said there was much more than that. Jesus modeled there was much more than that. That was part of it, but that wasn't it. There was the temple, but there's also this tribe thing. And really, if we, if, if we look at, the, like the point is not, we're gonna, like I want you to hear me. We're not gonna stop doing Sundays. We're not gonna stop meeting. But this, I hope, hope is not all of your spiritual diet throughout the week. This is where we come get teaching, training, tactics, and celebration on a loop that we're limping in. We made it for another week. This is the garage. This is the doctor's appointment. This is the shot in the arm to come, meet, celebrate, relax, regurgitate, unload, whatever you need to do. And we want to offer some sort of a fill up for the week ahead. But this won't be enough. We can give you a 12,000 calorie meal. The fact is you're still going to be hungry by Wednesday if that's all you ate on Sunday. You could eat like a dinosaur and a couple days later, you're going to be ready. Because we need every day. We need more than that. That's why we need temple and we need tribe. We need people we're doing life with that call us up, call us in, call us out to walk and live and be like Jesus together. That we can do life together to bring great glory to God. And so the American church has been great at Temple, but not so much at tribe. And like I said, let's be clear, between the 270 years between Pentecost and the edict, um, uh, see, Milan edict, the church grew primarily through tribes, through house to house. We see the biggest growth of church in the world is in house to house. The reason we're talking about house groups so much because not only has it been the thing of the past, it's the wave of the future. We see people more and more that are disbanded, distrusting, that are broken, that are lost, that don't have a clear family. People need spiritual families more than they need more spiritual TED Talks. More than they need concerts, more than they need great corporate worship, people 
need people who can build in their lives and be a mother and a father or a sister, a brother, a friend, a mentor, a discipler. People need that. People need each other. And we don't just need it on Sunday. Like I said, this is wildly important. The church isn't going away, but we've, we're already good at doing the temple. We're good at that. We have great worship teams. I love how we have so many people that can lead worship, and it's amazing. We have so many people that greet, that serve, that share, that can teach. We love that, and we're appreciative of that. But this is just a fill-up. This is not a country club. This is a place where we can fill up, where we can meet people, get connected to the bigger things God's doing, and that is the, what's going on in our tribes. See, the point of our lives is not just to have good lives or have a good life or have a good family. Those are the fruit, not the point. Those things are a fruit of a balanced culture of up and out disciples, people that passionately worship God, that are disciples, that make disciples, that people that live on mission. These are the important functions of the church and of families. See, disciples have healthy families, finances, friendships, faith, priorities, businesses. These are the fruit of being a disciple, not their way around. And we want to be aware of what Jesus is doing in our time and not miss the time of our visitation. And very, three very clear markers that I think exist in the church that's going to survive the cultural tidal wave, the earthquake that's already happened and all the aftershocks that are forthcoming. Churches that know how to balance temple and tribe are going to make it. You've heard me say this before, and the research is still consistent with what it was two years ago. Secular and Christian sources say about 35 to 43% of all churches are going to shut down from 2020 to 2025. We're seeing it all over the place. And these won't just, these will be churches that could balance temple and tribe well. Because most research says about, 60%, about 40% of people that used to just come regularly haven't come back. And if you're a church of 70 people, that's, that's, that's curtains. We want to be a church that's good at temple and at tribes. So churches that can balance temple and tribes, I think are going to make it and blaze the trail on the way ahead. I also think churches that can balance fidgetal, physical and digital we live in this world. It is what it is. That's why we have apps. That's why we have websites. That's why we have Zoom. That's why we have all these different prayer meetings and things that we've been beefing up that presence. I'm not a tech-savvy guy, but I'm also, like Forrest Gump once said, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. Like, I'm not a smart man, but I know what the digital world is. Jenny. You know, like seriously, this is the world we live in. That doesn't mean we have to be inundated with every form of media, but it, needs, it means that we need to have balance in our services, that we can do things both ways, in person and online. It's just the world we live in. Then the next is the church that can balance the natural and the supernatural. We need to be people that are, that are earthly good and heavenly minded. People that are good at family, people that are good at conflict resolution, people that are good at, with our money, people that are good at being bosses or being employees, like the physical stuff, people that are on time, people that keep their, word, keep their word, but also people that pray their butts off and pray their guts out 
and can go for it and can walk in the spirit and know what's happening. When everyone else is losing it, we're anchored in the word, but we walk in the spirit. And you're going to learn that a lot more in a house group than you are on Sunday morning. So our message, our method, and our miraculous look like this, if we can show the NDI guys. If you kind of look, and I'm going to make this a little bigger. So if you look at the life of Jesus, if you look at how, like this triangle, kind of a backwards triangle, we, we know in anthropology and sociology there's kind of four social spaces. We have, the, we have the crowds. We have the masses. And this is what we've been really good at as a, as a church, the over 70 gathering. We've also been, we also know that, so in the public space, we also know there's a social space. There's social space, people that we interact with more than Bengals games, more than big meetings. We have people kind of in our groups, usually 50 to 70 people that we regularly rub elbows with. People we kind of in life run into over and over again at the store, at kids' ball games, at work, you know, community group, a club, elk club, you know, Lions club or PTA, these kind of people we, they're in our social space. And then we have people in our very private space. People we trust, we connect with, we love their family, we love their kids, we go get lunch after church or, you know, we call out of nowhere to see how you're doing. And that's kind of the five to 12 people. And then we have intimate space, people we can walk around in our underwear with or bear all to. Like they know our little quirks, our little ticks, our little hums, how maybe we sing in the shower, maybe we make a certain face when we're doing something. These are people that know us really well. People that know our dirt and still love us. And we look at Jesus and we don't see any departure from this. Jesus got this before the sociologists wrote about it. Because Jesus had his three. He had James, Peter, and John that seemed to be closer to him than anyone else. Jesus had the other nine who he discipled. He had these really three key disciples. He had this huddle group, these guys who he did life with. Then he had the 72, we read. Jesus had the 72 who he sent out, Luke chapter 10, you can read about it. And then he had the 120, the masses, the people that gathered on Pentecost, the people in the temple. But if you look at how the American church has done church, we've spent way more of our time on the Sunday gatherings than on the mid-sized groups, than on the smaller discipleship groups, and almost nil on the real intimate discipleship spaces. But if we look at the way Jesus operated, he looked a lot more like this. He spent most of his time, we see with James, Peter, and John, then the other nine, then the 72, then the masses. As a church, we're just not gonna leap from Sunday gathering to small discipleship groups. But we're gonna go back the other way through this. So if you're wondering why house groups are so important, house groups are just the next link that we're connecting what already exists in a way, instead of jumping from you know, here to there, we wanna transition slowly and palatably in a, in a way that more people uh, can connect with. That's house groups. These are our 15 to 70 type groups. We want to see multiplication here. These groups, uh, one of my friends says that they're, that they're uh, small enough to care, but they're big enough to dare. So if you're wondering why house groups are so important, it's this. It's why this is the emphasis in this time because we saw, 
We've seen this is how the church has grown throughout history. This is what God's used. And this is really, you could call this family on mission. You could call this an extended spiritual family with mothers, fathers, kids, grandparents, people that love each other, people that have different places of gifting, uh, maturity, of availability, of time, talent, treasure. They exist in these places, these house groups, these kind of 15 to 50 or 70 groups where they can give life and they can give impartation, they can give imitation like nothing else can. Because let's face it, you're not going to get a lot of imitation on a Sunday morning. And the most important part in discipleship is imitation. It's not just information, and it's not innovation, it's imitation. Discipling, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus taught disciples, he said, you'll do the same things I did, you'll imitate. You're not going to imitate on a Sunday morning. These are really good musicians. Most of the people are pretty good at giving a talk, that there's experience and there's like things because, you know, we, we want to, as much as we can, put our best foot forward when we do have a lot of people. But you can get more teaching, training tactics in house groups of how to be a disciple, how to grow as a mom, as a dad, as a business owner, as a disciple, as a person, how to share in a healthy way. You're going to get a lot more of that there than you ever will in here because you'll have a space to imitate what you've heard. You'll have a opportunity for a dialogical discussion where maybe there's some sharing, but there's also um, the ability to ask questions. House groups are vitally important because it's what Jesus has used for generation after generation for two millennia to multiply his church in the world. The church in China, the church in the Middle East, they don't have any of these big temple gatherings. They don't because it's illegal. It's easy to find lots of people at a big meeting. It's hard to trace people house to house. Just like it's easy for you to come in and be very anonymous in a big meeting and just come and be a consumer Christian. It's harder in a family to uh, withhold your stuff, right? Your need, your struggles, your challenges, your desires, your dreams. These things come out more in the context of a family. And we wanna be a place that's really good at doing family. Because we know people more than ever with how disjointed and crazy the world is, the thing that's been rocked the most is the family. So we want to create families on mission that can do spiritual community in a way that is small enough to care and big enough to dare. And honestly, this is going to be our, our church planting vehicle in the future. You're an inspiring church planter. We'll never plant you if you don't do a house group because that's where you're gonna see if you have any capacity to grow things, to lead people. That's a great on-ramp. But, and this might be a place where you're like, I don't even know where people are gonna say, hey, have you seen so-and-so? They're part of our, of our house group now and they're a dynamo. The way they love, the way they lead people, the way they serve, the way they share, the wisdom that comes out of their heart, that's just on both sides of the coin. You'll be found or you'll be found out. That's the great thing about these. And that's what we want. That's what we want. In the task, the gathered and the scattered, we want to be a church that's gathered and scattered. That's what the disciples did. They got together, teaching, training tactics. They went out in house groups or oikoses, whatever you want to call it, and they practiced. 
They dialogued. They shared. See how a lot of people will come up to me and say, hey, Ryan, we got this thing we want to do, we want to see happen. I'm like, great, go do that. We want you to do it. I'm like, no, you go do it. That's your vision, that ain't mine. I'm not saying it's not awesome. I'm not saying it's not from the Lord, but you go do it. Get your house group and you go do that. Well, I prefer your professional. Dude, I've sucked at a lot of things, okay? You can suck in this too. Just try it, you know? (laughs) And we want to just, that's where these things are going to happen. That's where shepherding is going to happen. Listen, I'm the lead pastor of this church, but I can't pastor everyone in here. No one could. But your house group leader, your house group co-leaders, they can pastor you. They can know your needs. They can help you grow. They can give you resources. They can pray. Their family can come over and fix your fence and do stuff that we can't or shouldn't as a corporate body. So if you're wondering what the point of all these is, this is why we're talking about this. It's the way Jesus chose to do it. And we, we're not smart enough to figure out a different way than Jesus. Uh, Rodney Stark, a book you've heard me re- refer to before, the rise, of, uh, uh, the rise of Christianity. Rodney Stark's amazing sociologist, professor, University of Washington. And um, he's written some amazing books on the psychology and sociology and anthropology of the church. And he wrote this in The Rise of Christianity. Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with the urgent urban problems. To cities filled with homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with uh, strangers, newcomers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment a family to belong to. To cities filled with orphans and widows, foster care, kinship, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, racial division in our culture, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, earthquakes, Christianity offered affecting nursing services. See, the church can't meet all these needs on Sunday, but you and your house group can. You and, you and your family can't. You and your house group can't. Our church, our world is ravaged right now. It doesn't need better and newer ideas. I think we just need to get back to the main and plain, to the basics of doing what Jesus did and tr- quit trying to be so stinking cute and so relevant Listen, it is always relevant to obey because God's not caught off guard by any of this. Jesus wasn't shocked by COVID. Jesus isn't shocked by anything that happened. He wasn't surprised when Roe v. Wade hit. He wasn't surprised when it was overturned. He knows all this stuff. N from the beginning, Alpha and Omega. And so in our world, maybe he's calling the church up out of the church to be the church because the world really needs the church. The church needs to be like Jesus. And if you're willing to trust, if you're willing to trust and you're willing to just go for it, you're willing to look at the book, we're not telling you anything that's not in the book. You saw how they met. You saw what they did. We're just recognizing patterns and say, oh, uh, George, where did he go? You know, that's what he did. 
call you Sylvester because I can't say George. Okay, Sylvester. You know, like we're not, we're just blind squirrels trying to find a nut here. And we found it because he gave it to us. We don't have to go outside. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to be like the church down the street. Let's just be like Jesus. Let's just do what Jesus did and see if he blows on it. See if he adds life to that fire, to that little ember. Yeah. And so I encourage you, come to the house group thing on Saturday. It's not to hear me talk, okay? I'm not saying, I, I'm, I, listen, I got someone way better, way smarter, way more gifted than this. She's gonna talk. Come hear her talk. She's doing this on a clip I've never seen before. She's ever seen 1,200 of these that are affecting close to 60,000 people just in their church. They're meeting about 13,000 in their churches and about 55, 60,000 are in their house groups. And they're seeing people added. I'll end on this. When we were there, all their pastors and leaders and house group leaders were in a conference with us. 768 people came to Jesus in their homes. 768 people. I don't know many churches that see that over years of evangelistic efforts. God's calling the church up out of the church to be the church, and we want to be the church that blesses his heart in this time and that meets the needs in the world around us. So I'm going to ask you if you want uh, prayer teams to come up. And I'm going to ask if, if you're really having a hard time with this, if this deeply aggravates you, and you're like, I love what church has always been. I don't want it to change. I don't want to change. And spread out all across here, please. Um, if that's you and you're like, I'm just really having a str- come get prayer. Come get prayer. If you're really having a hard time with this, if you're mad, if you're upset, if you doubt it, or you don't think, or you think maybe you're exempt from this. I just encourage you to, um, to try just to lean in and trust and maybe receive prayer and see if God doesn't break something off your heart. Sign up online for the, for the event on Saturday. Trust me, it, it's going to be seminal in where we go as a church in the years ahead. So Father, will you come? Will you meet us? Will you meet the needs of our heart? Will you meet the needs of our society? Will you meet the needs of our families, Lord? Will you meet the desires of your heart for the church to be in this time? Lord, help us to be really great at temple. Help us to be really great at tribes and help us to do the task you've called us to, which is to seek and save the lost and make disciples of them. Help us do it, Jesus. Give us mechanisms. Give us ideation. Give us strategy, Lord. Give us humility. Give us hearts to pray to see these things happen. We love you and we bless you. It's in your mighty and beautiful name we pray, Father. Amen. All right.